0: Welcome to Careers for the Blind. I'll be your host, Harrison Hoyes. And in this interview series, we'll be having conversations with blind and visually impaired people discussing their career paths. We'll have an opportunity to hear about the struggles they had along the way, advice that made them more effective in their careers, and in general, what has helped them lead happy and successful lives. In December 2020, I had a conversation with Dr. Joseph Donnelly. Joseph lost the majority of his sight at a young age due to Lieber's Hereditary Optic Neuropathy. While first pursuing his undergraduate degree as a visually impaired person, he wasn't sure what he ultimately wanted to do. Ultimately, he pursued his Master's and Ph.D. and became a professor, and he is currently a professor in the Department of Public Health at Montclair State University. Here's my conversation with Joseph. Joseph, thanks so much for taking some time to speak with me and share your story. Can you start out just by telling me a little bit about your first experience with vision loss?
1: Sure. Thanks, uh, first off, Harrison, for inviting me to be part of this podcast. I uh, really appreciate it. I um, appreciate any opportunity that I have to share my story and ultimately to help others uh, go through what they're going through and hopefully to learn and uh, get through this uh, you know, challenging situation that individuals with sight impairments are going through. Um, myself, at the age of 17, give or take within a really short period of time, maybe about six weeks or so, I lost uh, about 95% of my eyesight due to a genetic uh, eye condition known as Leber's Hereditary Optic Neuropathy. Uh, quite obviously a challenging time in my life. I was a senior in high school, and it quite literally seemed like um, it was a uh, a daily uh, a daily slide you know where something I could see one day I had to be a little bit closer the next day, and so on and so forth. I was um, even driving at the time, and uh, one day I was driving with a friend of mine uh, on our way back from work, and he said to me he said you know, you just drove through a red light and I did not realize that I kind of needed to creep up on the light to see if it was red, yellow, or green. And, uh, it got to the point where it was becoming almost a guessing game. And, uh, that was not the game I wanted to play with, uh, with my health, my life or anybody else's. So, you know, when my friend shared that with me, I went into my, uh, you know, I went into my house and, uh, you know handed my father the keys and explained the situation said, i'm I'm done with the driving and a lot of things changed. so um but you know things were uh things were, yeah I was just your basic seventeen year old and um I was involved in a lot of sports and all this stuff and uh in fact, at the time, I was really really into gymnastics to the point where um I was training about seven hours a day my senior year in high school you know i was uh, yeah, I know it was it was really uh it was really intense. I was training in the morning. I was doing some, uh, you know, uh, things for, uh, other kids at school, uh, you know, during gym classes, some of the, uh, physical education instructors were asking me to, um, you know, provide some gymnastics, um, uh, assistance when they were going through that, uh, you know, that circuit and, um, you know, you know so things were really good. I was really enjoying it, but then this situation occurred and, um, some of my friends, uh, other gymnasts on the uh, on our team, they kind of counted me out. Like that was it for my season, and um, thinking you know that I would not be able to continue doing what I was doing uh, with uh, limited sight. But you know, I kept doing it. I kept working harder, and uh, you know, at the end of my senior year, I did win uh, first place. I was district uh, gymnastics uh, parallel bar champion out of 35 other gymnasts in the uh, district. So. You know, I prevailed. I, I worked really hard, and uh, but it but it worked out. And that was to me that was a big feather in my cap because I said, you know, maybe sometimes in life, you know, you get uh, dealt a bad, bad hand, but you just have to work harder to hopefully come up with a uh, an outcome that's going to um, you know that's going to be um, good.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and particularly with when it comes to the driving piece. Here in the. US, people need to drive. You have to get places. Uh, most oftentimes public transportation is not available. so it makes it a challenging decision for someone that's in the process of losing their sight to, who's yeah. driving to hang up the keys. And that's uh, you know a level of maturity in the 17 year old that you, that was um, you know, definitely challenging and, and, and good to see. I know for myself, I never felt comfortable driving. I, always, uh, I was losing my sight, and, and I probably could have, but just never wanted to, as you had mentioned, jeopardize my health or, or the health of others. Sure. When it comes to accommodation in high school, you were losing your sight. What kind of assistance or accommodation did you receive during the remainder of your high school years?
1: I, you know Harrison I really did not receive uh, many accommodations uh, in my high school um, yeah my my high school was not known for um, you know uh, academics so much um, yeah and you know when this actually occurred I would have been in my um in my second half of my senior year so you know at that point you know I just needed to finish up uh, any accommodations for instance when i Back then, we were taking an ACT test, uh, you know, for college and, um, you know, to, uh, you know, see where you would uh, place in, uh, you know, being able to um, be admitted into uh, college. And, uh, you know, so they had somebody who read that exam to me. You know, that was the accommodation. I don't recall anything else, to be honest. Uh, If I had something that needed to be read, you know, uh, you know, my mom or a family member would read me something, but I didn't see this as being a big a big challenge, a big struggle. One thing I did start to do, uh, which my mother encouraged me to do, is to take a typing course. So I took a, uh, you know, uh, a typing course from Hadley School for the Blind, and uh, knowing that at some point in time this would help me at the time, it was just to be able to use a typewriter, and I know most people don't know what a typewriter is, but it certainly helped me out when eventually uh, computers came around, et cetera, because back when I was in high school, I graduated in 1981, so, you know, computers were not, um, you know, were not uh, with us at that point. So, you know, the typewriter was the next best thing to a computer and, uh, you know, but no specific accommodations, just, you know, let's finish this chapter up in my life and let's move into the next chapter, not knowing what that next chapter would be at that time.
0: Okay. So you, I know you ultimately did go to college and do actually your postgraduate work as well. Can you tell me what ultimately uh, led you to go to college? And were you considering what type of career you would have after college?
1: Yeah, sure. Harrison, you know, I, I, thought about the, uh, you know, you know, college came, um, kind of in a, uh, a unique situation for me and, uh, in many ways, you know, I say that this eye condition was very uh, serendipitous, Um, you know, because some good things that did come out of it. Because back in high school, you know, probably because I was really uh, engaged in sports, I had virtually zero interest in going to college. And uh, so after this eye condition occurred, you know, I took a year off in between uh, graduating high school and going to college. And a part of that was, Yeah, I was just going through some challenges, one, and two, I, quite honestly, I did not know what I wanted to do with my life, and I didn't even think that college was a possibility because how can someone go to college if they can't read books and all the other stuff? And um, so then I, you know, I I started getting introduced to, uh, well, you can have your books on tape, and uh, where ultimately I went to school, Southern Illinois University of Carbondale. You know, I found out that they had a... uh, a really nice uh, program there, students with special services, you know, where they would read exams if there were particular needs, accommodations that uh, a student needed. For instance, uh, through the Illinois Department of Rehabilitation, you know, they had, uh, they uh, provided me uh, financial assistance to have somebody who would uh, serve as a reader. So I had 10 hours of assistance as uh, uh, as a reader. So I would pay someone in the dorm, to uh, maybe record some notes or, you know, read something to me or assist me with whatever. And uh, so that worked out really good. And uh, that was kind of the beginning of my college career. And they learned support throughout my eight years of college, throughout my baccalaureate, my master's and my PhD program. So it was a, uh, a tremendous opportunity. And you know, uh, did I have a particular specific career in mind? Did not. Uh, I just knew that I was really interested in health, so uh, I took a whole bunch of health courses when I went down to uh, college and uh, took courses like anatomy and dissection and biofeedback, psychobiology, and all these fun courses, but second semester, junior year, my advisor said, you need to choose a major, and uh, because I was self devising back then, uh, you need to choose a major, so uh, she said, what about health? So, uh, I did. I said, okay, health education sounds really good, but the courses I was taking did not apply. So I had to take 37 credits of health my senior year. And uh, ultimately I graduated and uh, moved on from there. So it was a, um, you yeah, know, it was a good transition. In fact, back at the time, back in um, back in the early eighties, the uh, health education program, Southern Illinois University at Carbondale was the number one program in the nation. And uh, not, not number one anymore. You know, they've kind of gone in a different direction. But it was a tremendous opportunity to really delve into a program where there were some phenomenal uh, professors and researchers. And it was a really good program. So uh, I tripped into something really nice.
0: All right. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think it's really important. I've been speaking with a lot of people that have had mixed experiences when it comes to accommodation in college and and more so a lot of difficulty with, with postgraduate work. Uh, and it's great to hear that you went to a co- college that gave you some good accommodation. But I think it's important for other people to recognize that not all colleges are going to provide a superior level of accommodation, that every college is going to be approaching it a little bit differently. And it's important for people to have that in mind and take that into consideration when applying to universities.
1: Yes. You know, in fact, let me, uh, let me speak to that just a little bit, Harrison, because you say how important it is. Um, I would like to, um, you know, I would like to augment that just a little bit. It is absolutely critical, you know, because if I did not have that type of support, that level of support, you know, going through college, you know, I don't know if I would have, uh, if I would have gotten through college because it was that critical at the time and I can speak to this you know from you know many different uh, many different sides because you know I went through this as a college student a undergraduate and you know of course through my master's and my PhD and uh, so I've been on that side where I needed the help and now I'm on the other side where I am a professor at uh, you know a university where you know, I am more than willing to lend assistance, uh, you know, accommodation support for students if when they speak with me and say, these are my accommodations, I need some additional time to take an exam and or I have students who reach out to me via email and say, you know, due to my accommodations, I need a little extra time to submit this research paper, etc." And, you know, anyone who's out there, whether, Yeah, uh, someone is listening to this and uh, they're in high school, they're in college or wherever they are in their uh, academic walk, it's really important to know that they need to step up to the plate, speak to their professor and let them know what's going on because people cannot help you unless they know where you are, specifically what needs you have. And I can speak as you know, a professor, of course, I can only speak for myself, but other professor friends of mine, I know that they are more than willing to help students if, whenever they reach out and say, hey, this is the situation, can you help me? And uh, that's what we're here for, is we're really here to uh, see students succeed, succeed academically, and, uh, you know, we're, that's that's what we're here for, is just to, uh, you know, make this make the most of this academic uh, opportunity for all of our students, you know, and including those who do have some accommodation needs.
0: Right, right. Yeah, no, that's fantastic advice. Everyone needs to, to take heed to that. Um, can we talk about your career? So you went on to become a professor. What was the hiring process for that like? And was your vision a, a factor in that hiring process?
1: Let me see. You know, when I uh, when I actually was in my uh, doctorate, my um, you know maybe about six months or so from graduating with my uh, PhD, you know, I started applying for uh, for jobs like everybody else, and uh, you know, I was pretty fortunate. I had uh, I was offered four interviews. Um, I went on two of those interviews, was offered two jobs, and uh, you know, ultimately accepted one. So that was a that was a good process. You know, my eyesight was better then, so it was not as, um, um, it was not as noticeable, if you will. And, um, you know, but, you know, that university, you know, and every university since that time, you know, you know, of course I was, uh, you know, I was up front with them and said, you know, I have a sight impairment, you know, I would need some type of assistance, et cetera. And, uh, you know, so they provided me a, uh, you know, a, uh, student uh, research assistant, uh, you know, uh, instructional assistant who would be there to help me with things like going through papers or reading particular things or whatever that was with research, et cetera. And uh, so that worked, that worked out really, uh, really nice. And uh, I do recall a funny story here, uh, Harrison. Uh, you know, my, uh, one of my positions, my, uh, my, the last position I applied for, which is where I am now, Montclair State University, you know, and I wasn't doing this to be sneaky or anything like this. Uh, I happened to, you know, have a IBM computer bag that, uh, that I carried with me. Now, the person who interviewed me, the chair of the department, he was very much into technology. So when he saw that I had an IBM uh, computer lap, uh, laptop bag, he his eyes lit up. Yeah, and uh he thought, Wow, not only do we have somebody with a sight impairment, but we have a sight impaired uh faculty member who's also a tech whiz. And that's what he said. <laughs> yeah, I'm a yeah, I'm a sight impaired tech whiz. And uh you know, little did he know that you know I in my IBM laptop bag, I had my lunch. I had some snacks, <laughs> I had a notepad you know, because I didn't have anything else to carry it in. And, uh, so it was actually it turned out to be kind of funny. And, uh, you know, and he, and he was, he was, he was phenomenal. He was incredibly supportive, you know, whatever you need, we're here to help you. And so, uh, you know, again, this is, you know, the university, they may be doing this because of ADA uh, requirements, but you know what we, I believe it's so important that somebody at universities that, uh, you know that employers are doing it because it's ADA required, but also because they're there to be supportive, because they're there to see this individual be as successful as possible.
0: Okay. Well, as as it relates to being a tech whiz, I did an interview with with Amina um, many weeks, many a couple months ago, and she she mentioned that in her interview, she demonstrates her she pulls out her computer and demonstrates the uh, jaws and tech that she's using. And she says that there's a cool factor to it. So, you know, demonstrating that you're a tech whiz yeah. uh, might help you land the job as well. But, uh, but that's, that is a funny story.
1: Yeah. It, it was, yeah. Uh,
0: so what kind of technology are you using these days to get your job done and be successful in your career?
1: Currently I'm using, um, well, let's put it this way. Every, every every device that I have talks quite obviously, whether it's a, an iPhone, iPad, my uh, my laptop, etc. And uh, primarily, uh, Harrison, I use uh, JAWS and uh, mm-hmm. version 21 right now. And uh, so, anything that uh, that students are sharing with me, I have them uh, submit all of their uh, papers, you know, um, in email. So then I'll open up those documents and you know read the research papers, grade accordingly, and you know whatever uh, assignments they have, they submit to me uh, directly in email. So that's uh, so that's quite wonderful, and obviously a lot of email correspondence, uh, you know, in academia. Same goes with working on research papers with uh, with colleagues or working on uh, grant opportunities, you know, everything through uh, through email. So that's my uh, form of communication and. Um, it works out really nice. I, I don't get, I don't get too crazy. I don't get too fancy with uh, technology. I just want it to be functional, you know, for me and the type of things that I'm, uh, you yeah, know, that I'm pursuing. But, you know, I listen to a lot of things. I do receive some ongoing technology support, which is uh, incredibly helpful, not only to go deeper into, uh, you know, my understanding of technology, but there are always new things that are coming out. Um, you know, um, you know, a, um, Somebody, uh, Sherlock Washington, you know, who has his, uh, technology, uh, adaptive technology company, he has been incredibly supportive with technology, keeping me, uh, up to speed with what's going on. You know, when I have ongoing computer technology issues, you know, and I'm needing to learn more about some of the new things that are going on, he's there to help out, to lend his assistance, which is, uh, has been incredibly, uh, Helpful because, you know, I mean, you you don't want to get you don't want to get stuck in technology and say, I don't know how to do this. There's always got to be hopefully somebody there that you can reach out to and say, how do I do this? And, you know, many individuals, if I reach out to somebody at the uh, at the university, as helpful and wonderful as they are, they don't know JAWS. So, you know, so, you know, so they're saying, you know, click here, point there. And I'm saying click what and point where. (laughs) Okay. So you know, so but Sherlock says, Oh no, you need to do this. You need to hit, you know, insert F seven or whatever and you know, tab three times and I'm like, Wow, it works. So having somebody like you know, if you have a Sherlock in your life, it's a big, big deal because it gets you to that next place to make things functional and as some people may say, Oh, that's easy. Something may be real easy for somebody with a, without a sight impairment. But if you have a sight impairment, it's going to be a little bit, uh, you know, there's going to be a few more steps and so forth. But what do you do? You learn the steps and you make it work.
0: Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I know Sherlock offers uh, that mm-hmm. training training service and he's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so you're using that technology uh, in, in your work. How about... Mobility. How are you getting around? Do you use a cane or a seeing eye dog?
1: Currently, I am not. Um, you know, um, my daughter is allergic to dogs. Um, absolutely love dogs, but uh, that is not. Uh, that is not. Uh, uh, that is not going to happen here. And uh, you know, the cane I have. Uh, struggled with this Harrison um, you know could I should I yes um, you know but I have a psychological barrier there and i'm uh, you know I understand that um, there may be a there may come a time in my life when I do need it and uh, you know so for instance if there's a, if i 'm going to a a, a train or uh, something along these lines, sometimes it's really important because You know, this way, individuals around you also are aware that there's a sight impairment, you know, that somebody has. And, you know, they may be able to help out or to help you from, you know, harming yourself or just understand and maybe keep their distance a little bit too if necessary. You know, I don't want to be in a situation where, you know, I do not have a cane. Somebody doesn't know that I have a sight impairment you know, I bump into them and, you know, spill their coffee knock their iPhone out of their hand or whatever it is. And, uh, that's not really fair to them, nor is it fair to me. So at this point I am not, uh, I do have a, uh, you know, I do have a retractable cane that I keep in my, uh, in my, uh, laptop bag and this laptop bag now actually does have a laptop in it. Uh, Mm -hmm. and, uh, so I have it there kind of like just in case if you will, but, uh, you know, probably in the future, once we uh, step out of uh, COVID-19, you know, likely I will pull that out and, uh, in particular circumstances, use it if when necessary.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I know for myself, sometimes if I'm out and about with my wife, I will have my cane, but I'll, I'll have it, I'll have it folded up and and kind of in my back pocket, and will, you know, a lot of times try. You know, you mentioned psychological barrier, uh, but, you know, probably should have it out and using it much more than than I than I do. So I totally get that.
1: Well, because pe- because people probably don't know you have a sight impairment if it's in your back pocket. Right.
0: Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I'm trying to avoid the situations where somebody thinks that you're completely sighted. And as you mentioned, you bump into them and they think, you know, they get the wrong impression. Certainly. Yeah.
1: yeah. You know, and I, unfortunately I did have that uh, situation once, uh, a few years back where I, uh, it was kind of, it was a little bit late and I was walking to the train station and, uh, you know, I bumped into somebody, uh, on a sidewalk and, uh, they, uh, they thought that I was looking to start something with them. And, uh, you know, that was the furthest thing from, uh, you know, from my mind, but they were, uh, they were quite angry, and uh, it was not a uh, it was not a good situation. And even though I explained to them, you know, you know, apologize, you know, I have a sight impairment. Well, they just didn't either believe it or. But if I did have a cane, they would have seen me, you know, coming come in from ten feet away, and said, let's give this uh, let's give this gentleman uh, a little bit more space. So, uh, you know, and they would have understood. Or if uh, if we did bump into each uh, into each other it probably would have turned around and said, Oh my gosh, I'm I'm really sorry. I didn't realize. And uh, it would not have been a big deal, but you know, I mean, so there's certain situations that are avoidable and uh, that most certainly could have been avoided. And uh, you know, but Hey, you live and you learn, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. When you were becoming a professor deciding on that kind of career path, were you thinking at all about the salary that that would entail and can you talk to a little bit about what kind of salaries do entry-level professors receive, and people people later on in their career? What kind of salaries can people going down that kind of career path? What can they expect?
1: It's a real good question for uh, individuals to consider. I mean, and um, you know, uh, kind of knowing what you're getting into before you um, before you. Uh, before you earn your academic degrees is uh, is critical. You don't want to be in a situation where you say, wow, I didn't realize I would only make this amount of money, you know, um, but back then it was not on my mind. I just thought it would be, uh, you know, a reasonable, acceptable salary, et cetera. Um, so, you know, I mean, if somebody were to earn a PhD and were to apply to a university today, what would their salary be? I would guesstimate um, probably in the range of maybe sixty-five thousand um, dollars. Now, then there are different steps that you go up: assistant professor, associate professor, full professor, and obviously each step, each promotion, your salary does go up. Uh, what could somebody, you know, earn over, you know, over um, after been, having been in this position for years, you know, they could earn, they could be earning over a hundred thousand dollars. If somebody is in a, uh, a professor, maybe in the area of business, maybe they could be earning 200 ish thousand dollars, you know? And, uh, you know, so it's, it's a very comfortable, it's a comfortable living and, uh, there's other ways though, that you can augment your, uh, your salary. For me, you know, I teach during the, uh, the winter session and, uh, you know, so that's uh, it's a good opportunity to give students a uh, another class to take during winter break. And I teach and uh, because I enjoy it and also because it's extra, you know, additional monies. you know, and, you know, a lot of faculty say sure is nice to have three months over the summer off. And, uh, and yeah, maybe that might be, but I have been teaching here at Montclair State University for 25 years and I have yet to have a summer off because I would rather take advantage of the opportunity to earn some additional monies, and also provide some additional courses to students. And uh, so there's different ways that, you know, individuals can earn additional monies, and also, um, you know, uh, be in a profession that they really
0: love. Okay, all right. Yeah, that's great to know. That's great to know. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, what are you doing in these, these days and also what were you doing before the global pandemic? for fun and as just for, for hobbies, you're, you know, just to and keep your life happy.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes, uh, you get, you get a little caught up in the, uh, in the pandemic and you, you know, it takes you a little while to think about what was life like before. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, 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 am doing some of what I uh, did then is still what I'm doing now. I do enjoy reading a lot. Um, you know, whether those are, uh, you know, novels, whether that's some, uh, you know, other academic pursuits. So I enjoy reading and that's uh pandemic proof. Um, other, things that I, other things that I, you know, and, and kind of part of my reading, to be honest, uh, Harrison, part of my reading is it's like me traveling to different places. I just completed a book uh, and I spent, you know, in my mind, I was in Ireland. And i uh, time in Ireland. Uh, you know, several I've been to Ireland several times. You know, so it's kind of like my me mentally traveling. You know, which is kind of nice now because we cannot travel due to circumstances. But what do I like to do for fun? I like to read. Uh, uh, I like to exercise. Um, my uh, my wife, daughter, and I we uh, we like to travel a lot. And uh, this is not uh, you know uh, viable now, but. You know, we we've been to uh, we've been to Hawaii about ten times. Um, we spent a couple uh, you know a couple visits in uh, in Ireland and London, et cetera. In fact, about two years or so ago, we went to uh, Ireland for a uh, uh, a U2 concert. You know, it was on my uh, wife's uh, bucket list to go to uh, to see U2. In Dublin, so we saw two consecutive uh u two shows in Dublin and had an absolutely spectacular time so you know other things you know we enjoy uh you know going out for uh for nice dinners and you know Manhattan and you know all the other type of uh all the other type of fun stuff and some of these are uh are restricted quite obviously now but uh you know we'll be uh we'll be stepping back into that like everybody else here uh sometime soon
0: yeah yeah absolutely looking forward to that day
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, what, what are you using to read?
1: Well, you know, right now I'm using a, a Victor stream and, uh, you know, so what, it, uh, that works out really nice because I'm able to download all of my books for free, you know, different novels and so forth. And, um, and even if I'm looking to, um, even if I'm looking for a specific author or, uh, you know, name of a uh, book, I can, uh, download the name, you know, of the author or the, uh, or the book and uh it will um download it for free so it's uh you know uh, wi-fi accessible etc and that works out really nice yeah i know that some of my other uh friends use uh use their iphone and uh and that's that's good that works for them but this is easy for me it's what i become accustomed to and it works out really nice
0: okay all right so victor stream has uh, some kind of connection with um, the 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 National Library Service or something like that. They,
1: they do, they do, and that's that's, that's absolutely fantastic. And uh, I mean, there are so many. one I, you know, and the thing of it is, so these books here uh, are are real time. So it's not like you know, I'm only able to get a book from 2017, 2018. I'm constantly getting books, and I I, I like James Patterson, the author, a lot. And uh, you know, I'm constantly getting a brand new book from. James Patterson. And, uh, so it's really, uh, so it's really fun. And, uh, you know, it's, um, you know, just new books that just came out, you know, new releases, I've got access to it. So that's really cool because, you know, because back in the day when books were being recorded, you know, I would usually be about one year behind the time. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, all books, textbooks included. And that was really challenging, you know, especially if my, if I'm, uh, you know, requiring an eighth edition to my students and I can only read the seventh edition. OK, that was uh, that was a little bit challenging. But, uh, you know, you, you work around it and, um, you know, make it, uh, you know, make, make the best of it. Yeah.
0: And James Patterson's an, an interesting one. He seems to be able to put out more books than I think anybody else.
1: <laughs> I, I, absolutely unbelievable. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, Joseph, thank you so much. I don't think there's anything else that I have for you unless there's any other adv- advice that you want to share with people. Um, anything else that comes to mind?
1: I, I do, Harrison. In fact, I was thinking about this a little bit. And, um, you know, and what I was thinking is that, um, you know, like anything in life, you know, um, any challenges, uh, you know, it, these challenges are how you deal with them and whether you make these difficult situations or whether you make the most of them. And uh, in reflecting a little bit about this, uh, you know, um, these times that I've been going through here over the past 40 years, you know, I thought that, you know, there have been many, many, many learning opportunities and many teaching opportunities. You know, I, I have learned a lot through this situation that I never would have learned you know, if these circumstances did not uh, uh, come into my life. Um, You know, I have learned a lot about people. I have learned a lot about different technology. I've learned a, a lot about how best to adapt, accommodate. And also, conversely, I have learned a lot about teaching. You know, how to teach others, you know, how to get through some of these challenges, whether those are emotional challenges, whether those are how can I adapt Technology-wise, I've been blessed with a lot of technology, so if whenever somebody reaches out to me, you know, which I've had individuals at the university do, including other faculty, and say, you know, what do I do in these circumstances? I know you use this technology. Is there something you could recommend to me, you know? And, you know, I'll talk to them about technology, and then I'll point them in the direction of, you know, call Sherlock, okay? You know, or... You know call this person or go to this office so you know i have been able to not just get you know uh support but i've been able to give a lot but when i talk to when i teach my uh, students you know i always share with them you know to help students in different ways as best as they can each student is different etc and you know, and they know that I have a sight impairment. We talked this through, et cetera. And it's not that if I can do it, you can do it too. But, you know, you know, each person has different challenges. You know, how do you work around it? How do you work through it? How do you make it happen to where you can be successful? And, you know, all I can say is this. If anybody, anytime, you know, would like to reach out to me, you know, give me a call, send me an email, you know, whatever, however you wish to correspond, you know, I'm here to help, you know, I've gone through it, and I'm going through it, okay? You know, I've certainly not crossed the finish line. This is a, uh, this is a process. You know, one thing that I've learned in this, is if someone were to say, you know, how do you, how do you get through this? My best prescription is as follows, is to surround yourself with as many supportive people as possible. You know, I have many supportive, you know, friends who are in, um, who have sight impairments. You know, whether that uh, be, I reach out to Sherlock for some technology support, you know, and or uh, David Dino Torres for technology support, or my good friend, Rich Ruffalo, you know, who's a uh, motivational speaker. I, all of these individuals, if there's a challenge that I have, you know, or emotional connection, or can you believe I did this today that was a real, uh, you know, kind of a real mishap, you know, but to surround yourself with people who can help you and you help them. And to me, that's kind of the, uh, you know, that's kind of the uh, a successful prescription in life, with or without a sight impairment. I'm not, I'm not a big uh, fan of you know, being the Lone Ranger, working all by myself on these projects. Number one, you can be more successful and uh, accomplish a lot more if uh, if you work with others. One and two, it's a lot more fun. Okay, and I think that's kind of the uh, the secret of life is in being successful. If you're not having fun, well, then uh, then you're missing out on uh, you know the uh, the secret formula which. Really makes uh, you know um, makes for individuals who are much happier and uh, you know just uh, you know in a better place. So surround yourself with people who are supportive. Let them know if when you need help and you know take and give give back. You know if somebody helps you, you help other people too, and uh, it makes for a, a beautiful uh, you know beautiful outcome and much better to uh, you know to be where you want to be.
0: I hope we can all learn something from my conversation with Joseph. I know for myself, I'm gonna try to maintain a positive attitude and to surround myself with positive people as well. And if there's an outdoor activity I wanna pursue, give it my best shot, have a few friends that might be willing to help me out. And it's really all about the laughs anyway. I hope you come back to hear more conversations with blind and visually impaired people. And thanks for listening.